in our series called Inhabit. Today we're talking about inhabit stability. We'll unpack that a little bit this morning. I'm going to ask a question. I'd love to have your comments on it. So if you're online with us uh, live right now, you can go to the comments and get ready to answer this question. Let me set it up a little bit. I was uh, part of a leadership uh, uh, group in a community uh, several years ago, and all the leaders from different sectors of the community came together, about 40 of us, uh, like the uh, government leaders, community civic leaders, business leaders, nonprofit leaders, and all of these different groups and organization, leader organizations or organiza- leaders from these organizations came together, like the chief of police, the chief of the fire department, uh, city council members, uh, other nonprofit executives, as well as for-profit executives and corporations and companies. And there were 40 of us came together, and we spent a year together learning about our community and what leadership in the community looked like. It was a very community-oriented uh, leadership program. And then the, op- the option at the end of that year was to serve in the community in some way. So the very first week that we got together, we actually went away on a retreat for two days. So in the, in the church world, we typically think this is a spiritual retreat, but for this was just a leadership retreat. And the facilitator asked a very good question. I think it's a great question for us all to consider this morning, no matter where we're at in life. And the question the facilitator asked this group of leaders was this, what grounds you when everything around you is changing? In fact, you can go ahead and answer that question in the comment section right now if you're online live with us. What grounds you when everything around you is changing? And it was interesting, all the different answers. So to stay in this room with 40 other leaders in the community and hear what grounds other people, right? So here are some of the things I remember hearing people say, well, family, family can ground us. Uh, Going out with friends, uh, some people even joked around about wine and chocolate, uh, sports and participate, going to the gym, meditation, yoga, and then even like uh, vacations like going to Disneyland where times to get away and get grounded. And so people in this secular arena were saying all these different things that grounded them. Out of the 40 people, only uh, I and one other person in that group mentioned anything to do with God, how God our relationship to God grounds us. Now, you'd expect that of a pastor. Uh, the other person was actually not a pastor and was leading a women's group in her home and attending a church, and I learned that out later because obviously I, I noticed that there was a connection there instantaneously. I don't know if you've ever been able to see that, but you kind of know when other people uh, of like-mindedness or Christians are in the room with you, especially in secular arenas. So we think about this and all the different questions that come, all the different things we turn to to create stability or ground us in our lives. We turn to different things. This is actually becoming more challenging today because we are living in a season, an era of what uh, Zygmunt Bauman called liquid modernity. He wrote a whole book about it entitled Liquid Modernity. I haven't read the book. I'm not necessarily recommending the book. But I like this term to describe where we're at in our society. We're in liquid modernity. And part of liquid modernity is this idea that nothing is ever finished, where there are infinite possibilities for improvement everywhere we go. And so there's this constant change and shifting always going on. There's a lack of stability in liquid modernity. And we're always looking to be self-improved, right, in some way. The other thing about this era and this way of thinking is that we're living in what has been called a postmodern age. And so everything's post-Christian, postmodern, 
uh, post-Western uh, civilization, whatever post you want to point out, we're past it, right? And the old is gone. The, the ancient ways, the old ways of doing things need to be thrown out and done away with so that we can move on to the next new thing. And that's a very uh, typical mindset that we can fall into. But the problem with that is it creates instability. There's nothing that grounds us in that liquid modernity. Uh, you can even see this in some of the media uh, I know that many of you are Star Wars fans out there. I'm a Star Wars fan, particularly the first uh, six episodes. And you can tell that as soon as Disney got a hold of Star Wars, the, 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 the narrative changed, right? You can actually see it. And one of the things in that narrative, in the new narrative, if you look, watch the movie called The Rise of Skywalker, right? You'll see in that movie that uh, Luke Skywalker, the, the character from the first, the old, the original, right? is on a deserted island by himself, and he's holding on to the old Jedi way, right? The Jedi code books, so to speak. And these books are held in a cave with a tree in it. And uh, Rey, the new character, the new Jedi, up-and-coming Jedi, she learns of this cave and sees the Jedi code there. But what happens is, is that in the movie, that cave is destroyed by fire. They burn up, and it, and it appears that the Jedi, the old Jedi code is being burned up and done away with, that we have to reject the old ways and the old code, right, and to live into this new way of being, right, this now post-Star Wars, this new post-Star Wars uh, idea that Disney came up with. And so as a, as a, uh, a fan of Star Wars, this is something that I was able to see, and maybe I'm geeking out a little bit too much here or nerding out a little bit on this. But it is, this is what, this is just an example in our media, in our entertainment of how this liquid modernity and postmodernism is actually in, it's taken root and is creating instability in our thinking and in our age. So I'm going to, I say all that because we're going to talk about an ancient path. We're going to talk about an old way of creating stability in our lives to ground us in our relationship with God. And so we, in a sense, have to realize that we're in this period of liquid modernity and that that is a very unstable place to be. And God really wants stability for us. God really wants us to be in a place of stability, and, and it's hard to imagine that today in today's world. So I'm going to go back and just check our app now, see if anybody commented. I see we've got some comments here. Um, see what you all came up with this morning. Uh, I know some people are checked in. Good to have the Pierce family with us. Uh, I'm glad to see that. Some people are talking about observing Lent. And so uh, someone said, uh, Scripture and prayer grounds me during difficult times. I love that answer because that's exactly what we're going to be talking about this morning. So thanks, Christy, for that response. Um, one of the things that we're going to look at today also is, is something called monasticism. Now that's a that was a way of living, and I'm particularly looking at the, the rule, what's called the Rule of St. Benedict from about the 6th century, and they created a, a community, a Christian spiritual community where people would come together in community and live together daily in this Christian community called a monastery. Now, we're not talking about, you know, everybody going out there and putting on robes and chanting. That's not what we're talking about. But we're going to be looking at this way of living that was intentionally grounding people in their faith. Uh, in that period of time, St. Benedict talks about f even four different types of monks that existed in his day. And these are words that you've probably never heard before. I had never heard them before, but I want to land on the fourth one here. But there are four types of monks that Benedict points out. He says there's Cenobites, 
which are grounded, they are committed to a faith community, they stay in that community, they, they live their whole lives in that one community. Think about that. They don't jump around to other communities. They stay stabilized in that one community, that one place, which is very foreign to us because we're constantly always shifting, changing jobs, moving to different locations in our society, right? Again, that's liquid modernity. And here the monastic, monastic life is saying, no, commit to stability. Number two is a, a type of monk called anchorites. Anchorites are solitary, disciplined monks that would go live in caves for long periods of time. You know, think of them as the reclusive or the hermit type of monk, and they would go live in the desert caves and fast and pray and, and all those things off by their own. Then there were the Sarabites, and these were monks that didn't follow any leader. They, they were kind of uh, pleasure, they referred to as pleasure seekers. They were just going whatever was the latest pleasure uh, for them, and they never really committed to a community, and they never really committed to following a leader in their lives. And then the fourth category is really the category that I think we can relate to is the Jirovaji, which means circle wandering. Um, these monks would just never land anywhere. They would never commit anywhere. They would never really commit to any one thing. And what they would do is they would just wander. They'd spend a week here at this monastery and then jump over to this monastery and then go over here and do this and then check this out and check that out. And I think that's more where we connect, uh, where we are at today is we're Jirovaji. We're circle wandering spiritually, right? And when, we're, when a person is lost in the woods, what do they do? They walk around in circles, right? And when we're spiritually lost, we don't have any stability. Nothing of God grounds us. No prayer life, no scripture. Nothing really connects us to God and grounds us because we're constantly wandering, looking to the next thing to give us whatever it is, whatever's the new, the novel, whatever it is. We're circle wanderers. And so we might jump over and study astrology and then go over to Buddhism and then go over to some Chinese medicine and then check out Hinduism and then come back to Christianity. And we're constantly just shifting sands. And sometimes we even do that with churches, right? I know Christians who just church shop and church hop and never commit to one community uh, to, to grow in their faith is because sometimes it's just hard to stay in community with people, right? And But that's part of stability in a community. We actually have seen this uh, just as an, another example in our online church experience. So we've been now, a year now, we've been doing online services, and most churches around the nation have been doing that. So they've done some research, and so we've got a year of research that's been going on. And over the past year, what's happened is that roughly, and I'm going to simplify this, there are actually three categories, and within each category, there are three groups of people. And so the three groups of people are, are churched adults, practicing Christians, and all other churched, church adults, or people who were attending church before quarantine. So what happens, if you break it out, it's roughly about a third, a third, and a third uh, in general for each category. So what happened was in quarantine that about a third of Christians or churched adults, uh, roughly a third, kept, stayed connected to their community of faith and to their church that they were attending in person before quarantine. So that's about a third. Another third shifted and started attending other faith communities. It could be somewhere else in the nation, could be another place, and started streaming other online services. And I, my guess is that some people are even double uh, streaming, and that's, you know, to encourage them in their faith. And then the really shocking part of this is that the other third just stopped altogether. There's no grounding or stability in their faith. So a third of all church Christians, we're not talking about the unchurched or the 
the people who weren't going to church. We're talking about people who are going to church before quarantine regularly, who are a third of them are no longer going to church. And particularly among, it's not the practicing Christians that it happens to. In fact, 62% of all other churched adults have stopped attending any type of religious services or worship services online. And so that's a big group of people in our nation that are no longer connected to a faith community. And they have become, and we can become, this Jirovaji, these circle-wandering, spiritually wandering people. We, they existed before quarantine, and now they, I think the, that's even more true today. Yet the scripture that we heard read today, Brian read us today, is very clear and encouraging. And these are the ancient words, right, of the Old Testament and the ancient words of the Gospels of Jesus. And these ancient words are telling us something, right? Saying there, there's, a, there's a good way to, be, to create stability. And the psalmist said what? What did the psalmist say? Look, let's look again. They, he says they are like a tree replanted by a streams of water which bears fruit at just the right time, and whose leaves don't fade, whatever they do succeeds, right? So there's this idea of rooting, right? That a tree is rooted, it's grounded, it doesn't move, trees don't run around anywhere, they stay in one spot, and the one spot that the psalmist is saying to stay grounded and rooted in is the Word of God, the ancient words of God, right? And the ancient paths that have been laid down for us by people of previous generations, and so we, we root ourselves there. We, we create stability by sinking our roots down into God's word, right? That's part of it. We also see in this scripture passage, in this interaction with Jesus and Martha and Mary, this same idea of stability, right? Now, Martha and Mary are hosting Jesus. Martha's uh, preparing the meal. She's doing everything that she was expected to do of her time period. And she's trying to be hospitable to Jesus. She's, she's offering her hospitality. And Jesus has no problem with that. In fact, the problem here in the passage is not with Martha's hospitality. That's not the issue at all. In fact, she's doing something wonderful, right? And, and, and is appreciated for that. What Jesus addresses is that Martha is not worried about what she's doing or what she's called to do. She's worrying about Mary and what Mary's doing. She's more concerned about Mary and pointing out the flaw of her sister, right, rather than focusing on her own relationship to God and to Jesus, right? So that's really where the rub is for Jesus. And I think a lot of times in the church we do this, right? We, we oftentimes get focused on what other people are doing or their spiritual growth or their connection to God, and we neglect our own connection to God and to Jesus, and so we constantly are, it's part of the problem, I think, in the Christian community, and maybe also what drives people away from stable community, is that they're judged, they're not uh, encouraged, right? And they're judged in a way, that, and criticized in a way that's pointing out their flaws rather than looking at their own relationship with Jesus. And the church, unfortunately, has done that for ages, and that may be actually what's destroying stability and authentic community for us. And so one of the things, notice that Jesus points out to Martha is this. He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. That's the change and the chaos around her. He says, one thing is necessary. One thing, just one thing. Mary has chosen the better part. It won't be taken away from her. And what was that one thing that Mary was doing? She was sitting at the feet of Jesus. She was listening 
to Jesus. She was staying connected to Jesus. And our mission statement as a church is to connect people to Jesus and to encourage them to stay connected to Jesus. And really good, stable communities do that. They're not about criticizing and pointing the finger and judging other people, but they're all seeing, everybody in the community sees themselves on a journey, an authentic journey to stay connected to Jesus, and they're encouraging each other to stay connected to Jesus, not judging each other or criticizing each other or what we call armchair quarterbacking, you know, giving unsolicited advice to others. But what they're doing is they're focused on their own connection to Jesus and encouraging others to come with them and sit where? At the feet of Jesus, not somewhere else, right? So that's what it looks like. And I think if our communities of faith would do that, would, would root people and stabilize people, would let go of the judgment and the criticism and just focus on our following Jesus together, we'd actually create more stability for everybody. Because I know the one thing that drives people away from church more than anything is not being accepted, not being loved, but being criticized and judged. And that's part of the reason, too, why the church is suffering so much, probably because people see that, right, and don't feel that they can be a part of that community authentically. And so that's part of the the rub, right? And it's not that we don't want to have standards and boundaries, because we actually do want that. We're actually going to talk about that. But there's this idea that we disrupt community with our judgmentalism, right, rather than our acceptance. And so let's check what would that look like going forward, right? So how do we create this stability, this grounding, this rooting in the Word of God, as well as our relationship and keep that connection to Jesus that we see pointed out to us in Scripture? Well, one of the things I'm gonna, we're going to look at through this series, too, is to inhabit st- stability is to actually look at the monastic way of life, which sounds a little daunting, doesn't it? But here's a, a quote I stumbled across from Roger. He said, turn your home into a domestic monastery. So I began to imagine, like, what would that look like to turn our homes into a domestic monastery? Now, let's just clear up a misconception. This is not about everybody going buying robes and putting on hoods and going around chanting in their homes. That's not what we're talking about. A monastery is a way of daily living together in community, right, that's intentionally focused on God. So that could be, that could happen anywhere. So I think that could actually happen in our homes. I think our homes could be places where we're intentionally grounding ourselves and focusing on our relationship with God and God's Word. So our homes could be those places, right? And what would it look like if people who came in, or if our families felt that when they were in our homes, and then when people visited us, they felt that, right? If you've ever visited a monastery, you, you'll know you're in a monastery, right? You'll, you'll immediately recognize it. It's a different way of living. What would it look like for our homes to be places of intentional connection and grounding in God and God's Word, right? With, to be connected to Jesus and to stay connected to Jesus. To do that, to be intentional, we'd actually have to do what the monks, the, the monks did, the monastics did, and that's create rules, and boundaries. Now, you may not like the word rule, so if you need a different word, here's some other words. Boundary, guideline, rhythm, habit, discipline, practice. Whatever word works for you, feels good for you, use that word, right, for you, because this is actually a positive thing. This isn't a negative thing. Uh, Father Cassian says this, the purpose of the rule is to free you. The purpose of the rule is to free you 
That's a paradox that people don't readily grasp. A rule works that way, to channel your spiritual energy, your work, your activity, so that you're able to accomplish something. So the rule is actually there to stabilize, right? To create intentionality, right? It's there to free us. What is it freeing us from? Liquid modernity, distraction, chaos, right? That's what we're being freed from when we set rules and boundaries and guidelines. And, and we, we need them. We desperately need them today. Here's some areas where I think we could use some boundaries and guidelines and habits and rules, and that's around our relationships. Are we, are we putting boundaries around our relationships? How about our use of technology or, say, entertainment or money and how we spend our money, our material possessions and how much we own and, and hold on to? And, then, and again, the aesthetics around us, the order and the organization and aesthetics of our homes as well. Are they places of chaos and stress, or are they places of stability that aesthetically pleasing or beautiful, as Maria talked about us, uh, last week, talked about in, inhabiting beauty? Is, there, is that a place of beauty that around us, or maybe even the way we uh, uh, dress and reveal the image of God in us, right? So do you have boundaries in your home that create habits for stability, grounding, and in God? Because we're in the season of Lent. And we began the season of Lent saying what? You are of the dust, and to the dust you shall return, right? That you and I are of the earth. We're of the ground, right? We're of our creator. And the, the creator, our creator God, God is the one that will ground us amidst all the chaos and changes around us. So if we're going to create these boundaries or create habits or new habits, because Lent is not only a time of letting go of bad habits. We often think of Lent as a, let's, let's end a bad habit. Let, let me give up some food that I have been, you know, indulging in, right? Uh, or I'm going to give up some entertainment, or I'm going to give up something, right? We often think of Lent as fasting from something. It's also an opportunity and a time to create a good habit that will ground and root us in God, so and create stability. So if we look at that, let's think about what's the good habits, what are the good things we could actually incorporate into our lives, into our daily lives, if we're not already, that would help ground us. So uh, the book Atomic Habits is not a religious book in any way, anyway, but I think it's a great book that helps us understand how we form habits and how we break old habits and start new habits. And we're talking about starting a new habit or forming a good habit. And so here's what Atomic Habits says to how to create a good habit. There are four laws here. Law number one, make it obvious, something to cue you. We're, we're cued, right, to do the habit. Number two, make it attractive. Make it something that we want to do. Number three, make it easy. You know, it should, shouldn't be hard, right? Make it accessible. Make it easy to do. And then law number four, make it satisfying. Maybe even have a reward attached to it in some way. Make it, so that's also part of making it attractive as well. So, Let's think through this a little bit practically. So how would we form a good habit that will stabilize us? So if we're talking about the Word of God, rooting ourselves, creating stability around that, so the first thing we can look at is, okay, let's ask the question, where's your Bible right now? Where's our Bible exist? Now, some of you are saying, on my phone, right? It's on my phone. Um, where on your phone? You probably have about 40 apps on your phone. Which one is your Bible app, and how often do you see it? That's the cue, Right? So is your Bible queued up in your life, right? So for me, uh, my Bible's on my phone, but I also keep a personal Bible on my kitchen table. So the first thing I do when I get up and go to the kitchen table 
is I have breakfast, right? My Bible sits right there. It's a cue for me to pick it up and start reading it. I know uh, other people who are at work a lot, they'll keep a Bible on their desk because it's a cue, it's a reminder, right, to, to, to uh, go about that habit. How is your phone cueing you to read your Bible? Maybe you get a Bible verse uh, sent to you, texted to you daily. That's a great cue. That's another way of cueing it up, right? The other thing I do is not only do I read my Bible in the morning, uh, and you'll actually find not only my Bible, but now other books and uh, devotionals on our kitchen table because that's where I go in the morning. The other thing I do is my reward, I don't know what your reward is, my reward is a cup of coffee. So I'll have a cup of coffee as I read, and that's kind of my reward, and it um, also, uh, that's kind of a little bit. So it makes it attractive, it's easy, it's easily accessible, it's a constant reminder, even when I'm there for lunch, when I'm there for dinner, that Bible's there, it's a cue, right? The other question, so that's our rooting ourselves in the Word of God, what about our relationship with God? We often, how often do you talk to God? And are you daily having a conversation with God, which we call prayer, right? But are you just talking to God like you would a best friend? Are you talking to Jesus? Are you sitting down with Jesus and having a conversation? And where does that conversation happen for you? Do you have space in your home, in your domestic monastery where that happens? You know, uh, in, a, in a real monastery, a literal monastery, there'll be a chapel, right, that the monks will go to, and they'll spend time in prayer in that chapel, whatever it is, whatever size it is. They'll also spend time in, in their rooms praying as well, but they'll intentionally come together as a community in a particular space, um, and they create space for that to happen. So in your, if you think about your home, our homes, where is that space for you? Where do you go to talk to God? Maybe you get out of your house because your house is too chaotic, and that's normal, right? But whatever it is, how are you cueing that up? What's the daily reminder that will cue you to go to that space and have that conversation with God? And maybe you just pray all day, but again, what's your cue? What are the things that you're doing to form that habit on a daily basis of having that conversation with God, staying connected to Jesus, staying at the feet of Jesus every day? So those are some things that to be thinking about as we think about intentional community with God, with others. And also, I would say, throw this out there too, for those of us who, who are parents of smaller children, it's harder to do this. Let's just, that stage of life is, is harder to do some of these things. Yet at the same time, remember moms, dads, remember your children actually need to see you doing these things. You are modeling faith for them. And so when you're doing these things, even as chaotic as your homes may be, and it may not feel like this is possible, I think our children need to see us reading our Bibles. I think our children need to see us talking to God and talking with them about God and having prayer time with not just our individual, but with our families. I know the reason that I read the Bible is because I remember growing up watching my dad read his Bible, right? That was a, that was a reminder to me. That was a model, right? Are we modeling stability in our faith for our children. That's important for us as well as parents. So hopefully this is just encouraging to reflect on this, to inhabit stability in your own life. I thought, I was thinking about this, like how do these boundaries and habits and disciplines and practices work for us? And I thought we'd take a moment just to think about how, how, how does a building survive an earthquake? Now, I am not an engineer I'm sure there are people out there that are much smarter than I am on this. But I, I looked at what are the different ways that we protect buildings 
from falling down when there's an earthquake. When the world around them is shaking, how do you keep the foundation solid and intact, right? So what they, one of the techniques, they have a bunch of different techniques for buildings. One of the things they do is they build boundary rings around the foundation of the building, right? So they'll put a plastic circular boundary around the foundation of the building or a concrete boundary, and they'll put a couple of these rings around the foundation of the building so that when the shock wave of the earthquake comes across the land, the rings actually channel the shock waves around the foundation of the building. And so it, it protects the foundation of that building. It keeps it from falling apart when everything is shaking around them. And so I think that's the way that our habits and our boundaries work. They, those habits that we put in place actually act as those rings around the foundations of our faith. They keep us grounded and rooted. And when the world is shaking around us and when society is, is, is going every which way but stabilized, right, we have these rings, these boundaries, these habits, these rules, these practices, these disciplines that protect and ground us in our faith and in God. And that's really what they're there for. They're there to free us. They're there to protect us. They're there to free and protect our families and the next generation as well, because otherwise we'll just be Jiravaji, just circle wandering the rest of our lives without that. So let's pray together this morning.